The British novelist Samuel Butler once claimed that a hen is just an egg's way of making another egg. And in the kitchen, that order of importance certainly holds true. Today on Check the Pantry, we're looking at a very small corner of the egg's culinary uses, omelets and custards, with AJ's head chef, John Brown, and Alice's kitchen manager, Adrian Huff. My name is Jeff Lockwood, and it's time to Check the Pantry. There's an old culinary legend that the number of folds in the tall paper hats called toques that cooks in French restaurants used to wear represents the number of ways to cook an egg. Like the colorful etymologies that derive the meaning of a word from the acronym it supposedly represents, COP, for instance, according to these notions, comes from the phrase constable on patrol. This isn't really true. But fanciful stories often contain some nugget of reality, and this one certainly hints at the remarkable versatility of the egg. As a centerpiece ingredient, the list of presentations is long. You can fry eggs, poach eggs, bake eggs, boil eggs, sure eggs, coddle eggs, steam eggs, scramble eggs, or pickle eggs. And each method contains variations and refinements depending on the exact texture that is desired. The white and the yolk are extremely sensitive to temperature, and eggs cooked sous vide at temperatures only one degree Celsius apart show dramatically different characteristics. Eggs take a wide range of flavors well, and many dishes use soft-cooked runny yolk to form a self-contained, simple, and delicious sauce. The cheapest way to make a bowl of rice and vegetables worthy of a thousand Instagram likes is to plop a poached egg on top. If all an egg could be was a cheap standalone protein source, it would be incredibly valuable. But the real magic of the egg lies in what it can do in a supporting role. You can't take a steak or a sausage patty or a pile of beans and turn them into a wedding cake, but you can do that with an egg. The ability of the white to trap air within a protein structure provides the framework for meringues, sponge cakes, and mousses. The emulsifying properties of the yolk bind a galaxy of sauces and are used in combination with milk to create a wide range of custards, from sauce to quiche, that differ from each other only in the ratio of eggs to milk and whether or not butter, sugar, or starch are also involved. Eggs provide the structural ladder for steam to climb in the baking of potashu, the dough used to make cream puffs and eclairs, so that the end result is a thin, crunchy, eggy crust Surrounding a hole, you can fill with pastry cream, which is more eggs, in yet another disguise. The basic breading for frying foods in Western kitchens is a three-step process of flour, eggs, and breadcrumbs in which the eggs provide some richness in the coating and unite the flour and the food with the crumbs. Chinese stir-fries are often preceded by a process called velveting, where meats are marinated in a combination of cornstarch and egg whites in order to achieve a particular silky texture. 
Baked goods are given polish by a thin wash of beaten eggs. Eggs make bread yellow and cakes moist. The single biggest challenge to vegan bakers is not being able to use eggs. There is simply no one other thing that can substitute for them. Many ingredients do part of the eggs work very well, but there's nothing else that does all of it. It's such a critical tool that we're going to spend the next hour talking about it and we'll barely cover any of its useful traits. We could discuss nothing but how to cook whole eggs in heated water and still not exhaust even that narrow topic. If you do a show about eggs and don't at least mention boiling, though, somebody will get mad. So here's the truth of boiling eggs. Start them in hot water, which causes the outermost layer of white to coagulate quickly and more easily separate from the shell membrane. Bring them back to a brisk simmer and cook them for between 3 and 15 minutes, depending on your desired doneness. Then immediately plunge them into an ice bath, which does help stop the cooking, but more importantly causes that outside layer of whites to shrink away from the shell, greatly simplifying the peeling process. This works even if the egg was removed while still warm from underneath the chicken that laid it. My ideal omelet, a uh, little bit fluffy, you know, nice. Uh, I like a little ham in there, maybe some onions, cheese, of course. And if you're feeling really fancy, maybe top of a little sour cream at the end. You know, nice and simple, kind of diner style. Cooked a lot of breakfast in uh, American diners here and there. And, uh, you know, the older I get, the more I like the simple things, you know. <laughs> so do you fold your omelet, roll it? Do you serve it open-faced? Fold. Fold? Yeah. All right. Fold if it's in a pan like this. If I have to be cooking on a flat top or something like that, you know, in a restaurant, I like to roll it. But in a pan, I think it's just easy enough to fold and uh, it comes out nice enough. Yeah. And you're, you're a fluffy guy all the way through? Yeah. Dry texture? Yeah. All right. But a little bit moist, not too dry. All right, uh, I've got a couple eggs here. I'm gonna crack these guys. Mix these guys up real nice. Definitely want to use a whisk instead of a fork, I believe. A little bit, a little more air in there, I think. Pinch of salt and pepper. It's nice that we have butter. I do like to cook eggs in butter. And you use whole butter because you don't have to have that high of a temperature for eggs, you know. Heat my heat. Let's get the butter going. Once I get this butter going, if I'm going to put, you know, the ingredients in there, I like to add the ham in there and cook it up a little bit, or the onions, and then pour the eggs in. So they're kind of in the egg mixture instead of, you know, folding on the inside. Uh, I just think it's simpler. I don't know. That's the theme of the episode. Is that eggs are like so personal. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody has their way that they like them. You know. The butter nice and melted. This is the point where I put some ham or onions. Maybe some green peppers are good in there. Or bacon if you have that. So it starts to bubble up a little nice. And I feel like I get better results if I. Uh, Make sure that it's going nice and warm before I actually add the egg. Get a lot less stickage that way, I feel. I can smell that butter now. Probably be a good time. Go ahead and add it in. I like to do a little, kind of push it in from the edges a little bit. And let the eggs run back down in there. You get kind of that, you can see, I mean, you can't see on the radio, but uh, 
kind of gives it some uh, texture, you know, some little ridges in there. And I think you can cook it a little faster without getting the outside too incredibly dry or crispy, you know. Right, a flipper. Yeah. Sweet. You know, at this point, though, if you feel like you can't flip it, you can always say, well, hey, I'm making a frittata. <laughs> Warm the oven up and then put the ingredients on here. Sorry, it's a radio, so if it splats on the stove, nobody sees. Boom. High five. Flip. I like to do a flip, about 30, 45 seconds. Then the reverse flip. Put the cheese in there, off onto the plate, and then just fold that sucker over. And you should have plenty of time for your cheese to melt. Put anything you kind of want on the top there, a little garnish, and uh, good to go. Tell me about creme anglaise. What is it? It is a basic pourable custard. It's, the way it was described to me is it's like the versatile dessert. You could use it, it's a base ingredient for multiple things. The more egg you have, the thicker it could be, and it could be like a pastry cream, it could be set like a custard in a cup, it could be used like creme brulee, or sauce, put it on top of your cakes, or I really got obsessed with just pouring it over berries and eating it by itself, because then I thought I was being healthy, but... It's not healthy. Milk, eggs, and sugar. It's compared to like a custard, you're not gonna be thickening it with cornstarch. It's just eggs and some milk. For a pourable sauce, you want less egg. So today we're gonna be using four egg yolks to two cups of milk. Let's get cracking. That's punny. Do you want me to save the whites? It's called like the floating island. Oh, il flotant. Because that's what I was like, we should just do that, because then we can use our whites and the yolks. All right, so what are you doing? I am separating my four eggs. Four recipe like this, for uh, actually a lot of your pastry baking recipes, you want your eggs at room temperature. So you mentioned il flotant, what, yes. which is something that you can do with your leftover whites. So what exactly is that? It is creme anglaise with a dollop of meringue on top and praline and it's super delicious, super simple. So you're using cream and milk? So what's the advantage of the cream as opposed to just milk? The cream, um, heavy cream has a lot more fats in it. So it's just gonna give us um, fluffier, fattier, richer, um, and a smoother mouthfeel. But you can definitely use, with this recipe, you can definitely use just milk and it'll still come out just as delicious. I've got my saucepan and my measuring cup. Since we're gonna do two cups of liquids, I'm gonna do one cup of milk and one cup of heavy cream, and I'm gonna heat it, but not to a boil, to a simmer. Do you heat the sugar with the milk, or do you add the sugar later? No, we add the sugar with the yolks, and we mix them, but you don't wanna add the sugar and the yolks together too soon, because they'll cook, and they'll eat each other. So we're gonna get the sugar measured out so we can add it to the yolks as soon as our milk comes up to our right temperature. Now this is the part where it can change a lot. Um, the more you cook your custard after you've heated the milk and added it to the yolk slowly by tempering, the longer you cook it, the thicker it'll be. But if you cook it too long, you have a chance of cooking the eggs. So you want to avoid, is it 180, 185, or you'll have a quiche, a sugar quiche. 
and you don't want to keep it too low either because if you're not mixing enough and it's not coming together and it's all low then it'll have like weird chunks and it'll break even if you strain it a whole bunch of times which i didn't think actually was a thing until i did that cooked it way too low and too slow because i was nervous we're not going to be nervous today So I got my yolks whipped up in my bowl, and we're gonna heat the milk. I got my two cups of sugar already measured up, straight into the bowl. So I'm adding my sugar to my yolks. That's about two cups, you said? Two cups of sugar, four yolks. It will definitely glob up a little bit on you. You could be, you would be able to pick up a chunk of this if you wanted to. I don't want to, but you could. All right, it's all mixed up. Okay, you ready to do Let's heat up our milk. All right, so what do you got going here? So I've set up my ice bath for after everything's been heated up. I've got some ice cubes hanging around in um, very cold water. And once we get our milk up to a temp and we temper our eggs, we'll start straining it. But first we gotta heat it up. What's the point of the ice bath? cool it down quicker and consistently. All right, and since it's um, there's heavy cream in here and milk, we don't want these fats to burn, so we're gonna go like low, medium heat and constantly moving too, so there's nothing on the bottom that's cooking quicker than everything on the top. I'm whisking it. Uh, it's fine if you use a spatula, heat-proof spatula or spoon. Once we heat up our liquid, um, we're slowly gonna be tempering into our egg sugar mixture. It's already mixed up, so we're gonna slowly ladle our warm liquid into our eggs. And when I say slowly, I mean start with maybe a couple tablespoons, little two tablespoons, and mix it, and then slowly drizzle from there. And you wanna be constantly whisking. If it's too slow, you're gonna be standing there forever and you're gonna drop your temperature and it's not gonna set up right. And if it's too fast, it's gonna be too hot and it's gonna cook your eggs and they're gonna curdle and you're gonna get weird chunky streaks. Um, you can save it if you get to that point by straining it, but you also have brought those sugars to a different temperature so you're gonna get a different taste. So are you gonna put your caramel glaze back on the heat after you temper it? I will. Okay. That's where the thickening comes in. Because you're when you're tempering, you're just combining ingredients and making sure that your cool ingredient is not being cooked too quickly to where it can be brought to a higher temperature without it messing up the profile of the original ingredient. <laughs> Gotta be patient. I think this is why a lot of savory cooks hate pastry. <laughs> the waiting. Because you can't, you know, you, you can't really go do something else no. while you're waiting on your you know, your one thing to very slowly heat up, you pretty much have to stand there. Savory cooks always think like if you're standing there, you're not doing anything, but mm -hmm. in pastry, like standing there is like 40% of the job. Definitely, standing there aware. And the only thing you're focusing on is little bubbles. Constant little bubbles. Okay, look, we got bubbles moving. It's now come to a little bit of a simmer. The bubbles on the edge of the pan, a ladle and a whisk. Do, do, do. Just a tad bit at a time. 
If you think that you've added too much, just keep whisking. It'll all come together eventually. This is a nice recipe to do with a friend because then you can trade off and they can whisk for you too. So you're gonna stand here a while. You wanna do about three quarters of your hot liquid to your eggs before you add it back in. All right, so I'm feeling the temperature of the egg and milk mixture compared to what's left over in my pan. And it's still a little hot, so I'm gonna do one more ladle and then we're gonna mix it all together and add it back to the heat. Are you gonna add your flavorings here or are you gonna wait till the end? I am going to wait until the end to add my flavorings. Um, depending on what flavor you're adding and if you're working with dried or not, it makes a big difference. If we were using actual vanilla bean here, I would wanna add it after my ice bath. If we're using um, extract, you don't wanna have it on the heat too much because then it'll be bitter. Do you ever infuse your milks or creams? I have in the past and that, work, that would work really well. So again, we're gonna go for a low, medium heat. This is one of those parts that's gonna take about four to five minutes. You're gonna wanna stir, not continuously, but uh, stay on top of it. Now, we've got a whole bunch of foam on top, so it's gonna be hard to kinda see, but you can feel with your whisk that it's gonna start thickening. And that's what you're going for. The spoon test is where, while you're heating up your cream, the back of the spoon will hold your cream mixture, and that's when you know it's ready. If I were to make ice cream with uh, creme anglaise, with our last step, we would be straining it into an ice bath, adding our flavor, and then popping it in an ice cream machine. Obviously, follow your ice cream machine instructions, but usually with a frozen bowl, you're gonna wanna mix it until you see some caking on the side while it's spinning. And then 20 minutes after that-ish, it should be thick. Throw it in the freezer and you've got homemade ice cream. Probably some of the richest homemade ice cream you would make. Yeah, you because you don't have to add anything else liquid-wise to this. Nothing. It's just straight creme anglaise. Yep. Getting a little thicker now in consistency. It's not coating my spoon yet though, so I'm not worried. This is another mixture that we don't want to bring to a boil or even a simmer. You just want it to thicken. Not everything has to be cooked on high. So with my spoon, it's gotten thicker now. I'm gonna do a spoon test. So you pretty much just put your spoon in your creme anglaise and see if it coats the back of it. So it's off the heat. We're gonna take our bowl and our strainer and put it in bowl in the ice bath, strainer in the bowl in the ice bath, creme anglaise in the strainer, in the bowl in the ice bath. Okay, so our perfect creme anglaise <laughs> is now sitting in the ice bath and it will slowly thicken. We wanna cool it sooner than later. This is where you add the flavorings? Yes. You wanna make sure it's cool if you're using extract. Mexican vanilla, still delicious. So at this point, we have a sauce. At this point, you could use it for multiple things. Uh, if you love bread pudding, 
I would try this. Um, I would make sure your bread soaked it up though because it is thicker, so it's gonna take a little longer. Vanilla. Vanilla. It's pretty good. That is pretty good. I, I think this would be pretty delicious if we threw it in our ice bowl and froze it. I also think I could dip a piece of toast in this and call it good. Or just eat it out of a bowl. Yeah. Let's make an omelet. Let's make an omelet. A lot of people get really persnickety about the exact definition of an omelet. They'll throw around such things as they'll say, oh, there's a perfect omelet. Well, here's the deal with eggs. There's never a perfect anything because the range of preferences that people have in eggs in particular is pretty incredible. Some people like them wet. Some people like them dry. Some people like them fluffy. Some people like them flat. Some people like them hard. Some people like them soft. Some people like firm whites and runny yolks. I'm sure there's people out there who like firm yolks and runny whites. Although that'd be really hard to pull off. But I guarantee you that there is somebody that that's what they want. But we're going to make omelets today and I'm going to make my favorite omelet. This is what I think when I think omelet. This is what I want personally. It might be what you want. It might not be what you want. And there's a lot of different varieties of omelets. Basically, to me, there's kind of three generic omelet types. There is the rolled slash folded omelet. Then there's the open omelet or the frittata. And then there's the souffléed omelet. And the rolled slash folded, that's a distinction within itself. Most like American diner style omelets are folded, you know, folded in half. It's a nice semi circle. And those tend to be pretty fluffy and dry, but soft all the way through. You know, they're not, there's not any runniness to them. Whereas the rolled omelet or the French omelet, the French are very good at describing their um, foods in very colorful, colorful terms. The proper consistency of a proper French omelet is called baveuse, which translates pretty literally to snotty. And it's an accurate translation because you want it to be soft, not quite set, not dry at all. A very thin layer of well-cooked eggs. And there's a big division. Some people say the eggs on the outside can't be brown at all. And then there's some people who allow you to have a touch of brown. So I'm going to sidestep that discussion and say, if you like browning on your eggs, brown the outside of your omelet. If you don't, don't. There is a, a Japanese style of fold rolled omelet as well called tamagoyaki. I think I'm pronouncing that correctly, but I might not be. So if I'm not, um, my apologies, Japan. Uh, that is made in a rectangular pan and it's folded in on itself. So it forms like this this uh, rectangular cross section. It's square in in uh, form and they serve it with sushi a lot. I am going today to talk you through my personal favorite way of making an omelet, which is basically a pretty simple French omelet rolled snotty in the inside with a very thin, firm shell on the outside, minimal ingredients. I like maybe a little cheese, but today I'm just gonna make a plain old omelet. No extra ingredients, no herbs, no cheese, no nothing. Just butter, eggs, and a pan are the ingredients for this omelet. And a little salt at the end. And I say pan as one of the ingredients because we don't think of our tools necessarily as ingredients because they're not something that we eat, but I think it's worthwhile thinking in certain recipes, it's very difficult to do things without the correct tool. And omelet making and egg cookery in general 
is very definitely something where you want to have the correct tool. Now, the easiest thing to do is simply to get a nonstick pan. And nonstick pans are wonderful for eggs. I'm not going to ever say anything bad about them. I don't have any. The reason that I don't is because they're sort of a pain to not scratch. Once you scratch them, then they're not that useful anymore. And I just happen to like carbon steel. And I talk about my carbon steel pans occasionally. Well-seasoned carbon steel is magnificent for eggs. You got to get a good seasoning, but it's very easy to do with carbon steel. I've sort of, I've described it in the past. I'm going to, I'll give you a quick uh, description today. And one day we will do a show just on skillets. It's real simple to do. Heat your pan up over high heat, squirt a little bit of oil in the bottom, take a paper towel or a cloth and keep rubbing, rubbing, rubbing with some tongs. What you're trying to do essentially is get a very thin layer of oil and that layer of oil polymerizes or it basically actually turns into plastic like a plastic that's what polymerizing means and once you build up a, an even coating of that of sufficient thickness you have a surface that is it's not as non-stick as teflon you still need to use fat but it's not a problem to cook eggs in it so i have my ingredients i have my ingredients here for my omelet what I don't have in front of me and what I need to go get is a plate. Two eggs. That is the size of omelet pan that I have here. I believe this is a seven inch pan, which is good for two eggs. Actually, you could probably make a three egg omelet in here if you were making either uh, like a frittata, an open omelet, or if you were making a folded omelet, an American style omelet. Uh, that's going to cook a little more, you could actually probably use three in here. The reason that I always use two in this seven inch skillet is because if you try to use too many, the inside doesn't cook quick enough uh, by the time the outside is ready. So the outside gets a little too brown. I am, I, I will, I will get my own personal omelet preferences out there. I am a yellow omelet, very soft and snotty interior guy. So omelets are not like scrambled eggs. Scrambled eggs, you don't want to thoroughly whisk your, your eggs. You know, it's okay if there's a little separation between whites and yolks. That's fine for scrambled eggs. For omelets, you want them to be beaten together. So generally, 25, 30 seconds of vigorous whipping. Some people put water. Some people put milk. I put neither. I'm not going to argue with you if you want to. The subtlety with milk is that it supposedly gives it a slightly richer flavor and Theoretically, some people say it makes them tenderer. I find milk maybe makes them a little drier, although it does help with the fluffiness. So if you want a fluffy omelet, milk helps. Also, water does up to a certain extent, too. The theory behind water is that it, it makes it fluffier but still tender. The theory behind milk is that it's fluffier but, still, but a little drier. Since I'm not going for a fluffy omelet, I don't worry about adding anything. So this particular style of making omelet is really more of a technique than anything. And I will recite to you my favorite omelet recipe. It's a very famous omelet recipe. It's been reproduced countless times, probably since shortly after it was created. There was a, an innkeeper named Annette Poulard, Madame Poulard, in France. I believe she was in the north of France, but I don't remember. 
Uh, I first discovered this anecdote in one of Elizabeth David's books, but it's all over the place. Anyway, she was famous for her omelets all across France. Everybody, you know, people who were into food knew about Madame Poulard's omelets. So anyway, she she got old, she retired, and one day, uh, somebody that wrote for one of the French newspapers, just kind of out of the blue, said, you know, writes her a letter, says, I know you're not going to tell me how to make your famous omelets, you know, that no one has ever been able to reproduce, but if you could, would you please tell us? And she actually replied... And she sent him this recipe. Here is the recipe for the omelet. I break some good eggs in a bowl. I beat them well. I put a good piece of butter in the pan. I throw the eggs into it and I shake it constantly. I am happy, monsieur, if this recipe pleases you. First thing you do, as always, turn on the stove. This recipe is a very good uh, example of the very important concept of preheating your pan. Because what needs to happen is your pan needs to be nice and hot. You're gonna throw the butter in, then I'll generally pull it off the, the heat a little bit, leaving the heat high, not too high, kind of medium high, because we'll be moving the pan quite a bit. You can control the heat a little bit by moving the pan on and off the heat. But you gotta get the pan nice and hot first, not screaming hot, we're not stir frying, because we don't wanna burn the butter as soon as we add it. Because the whole process is gonna take like 45 seconds from the time that we add the butter. This is not gonna take very long. And I'm going to get a generous chunk of butter a generous chunk. This is probably a good tablespoon and a half, tablespoon and a half of butter, maybe even two. And you want to make sure, particularly when you're doing it in, in carbon steel, you want to have plenty of fat. Also, the, the butter is one of really only two ingredients, plus a little salt at the end, in the omelet. So you want the butter to be good. And this is, I happen to be using some fairly nice butter. The nicer, the better. And the butter will tell you when the pan is the correct temperature. By the foam and the butter will start to subside, and that means that a lot of the water is now cooked out of it. You don't want the butter to actually brown. This is kind of the trick. It's got, the heat has to be hot enough that the whole thing happens quick, but not so hot that it's gonna brown the butter. So my foam is subsiding, and I am ready to add my eggs. And from this point, shake the pan and I'm using a fork to sort of stir the curds a little bit and you do this for about the first 15 to 20 seconds just until the whole mass starts to solidify and then now I've stopped now now I'm not moving the pan so much now I've got a nice Firm exterior, pretty runny interior. Now I sort of tilt the pan away from me and I put my, my fork underneath the edge closest to me. And I roll, I fold that over, I roll it over on top of itself. And then, this is the bit that's, it's a bit hard to describe what, I, what exactly I just did. As soon as, as, soon as the, the bottom part of the omelet is nice and firm, and the top part is still a little bit runny, what you do is you take your fork and you fold up the edge closest to you. You tilt the skillet away from you, you fold the edge closest to you over on top of the omelet, kind of in a third, you want it to be about a third, kind of like folding a letter, basically. So then what you wind up with is a little half moon of omelet, 
uh, in the far, far end, the far circular end of the skillet. At this point, now I've flipped one third of the omelet in on itself. And so then what I do is typically at this point, I've been shaking the pan with my left hand and stirring the eggs with the flat side of the fork in my right. And now I'll put down the fork, switch over to my other hand with a different grip, kind of the grip that you would have if you were gonna stab somebody. You grab the, the, the pan upside down and then you remove it over to the plate and you slide down, you let the egg, the omelet fall down on itself straight out and it and now it rolls. And so now it's a very thin layer, perfectly done. The outside is completely flat. Mine never come out that way. There's always a little wrinkles in mine. But if, if you really know what you're doing and you're really top notch at this and you make a lot of omelets and only take pictures of the good ones, then your omelets always come out flat. Put a little bit of salt on top of it and now I have an omelet and it's gonna be super good. I'm very excited. So simple. Okay, so I'm gonna make a little creme brulee today. Pretty classic dessert. It was really big in the 90s, I guess. Still good. Uh, people love it. It's a big seller at the restaurant. Uh, you can do different things with it too, different flavors, you know. Uh, one of my favorites lately has been an orange creme brulee, but basically, nice sweet custard, vanilla. Cook it, chill it till it sets. Uh, put some sugar on top. You burn that, you get a nice crunchy layer. And so you have that nice contrast of crunch versus creamy, which I think is always good. Uh, so we're gonna separate out uh, 10 eggs, so 10 yolks. We do about two or three yolks, kind of depending on the size of your eggs, what you're using per cup of cream. Good bit of sugar, probably a half a cup of sugar per cup of cream, maybe. It's just the basic custard. And traditionally, uh, this would go in the oven. Yeah, so yeah. That, no that noise in the background, that's the sous vide rig. So describe what your sous vide process is going to be before we start doing it. Sure. Uh, well, instead of, you know, the oven with the water bath and the kind of shallow dish, these are going to go into half pint wide mouth basin jars, what I prefer to use, and into the sous vide water bath. There's a couple advantages. Uh, you could do a lot at one time if you have a, a you know large circulator if you're in a, a restaurant setting and uh, they don't crack on you they're, they're perfect every time uh, and the, the texture can't be beat it's just so smooth once I found out I could do these sous vide I got a little a little more uh, jazzed up about doing them okay we got all our eggs separated and we said put the sugar Sugar right into the egg yolks and whip it in. And now vanilla. Uh, if you're using extract, which is fine, you can go, go right into the egg mixture. If you're going to use beans, I like to put that in the cream, which I probably should already have heating up actually. But good smell. I like a nice big splash of vanilla. I don't really measure when it comes to that. that smell like I, like I said earlier I do an orange one and so with the orange I'll put uh, zest in with the cream while I'm heating it and a couple shots of Grand Marnier and uh, that's a pretty nice uh, flavor I like the creme brulee 
More recently, I've done a maple bourbon. Take out some of the sugar, add maple syrup instead, a little pinch of cinnamon, and then a little bourbon in, into the uh, cream so that the alcohol will cook off. Uh, some espresso ones, pretty nice. And sometimes I'll just do, uh, I'll cook down some raspberries and some sugar, and then just put that in the bottom of the jar, lay the custard on top of that, so you know, kind of like a fruit on the bottom. Raspberry creme brulee, and that's a, one I do quite often. All right, I'm gonna get some cream getting hot. We're just gonna heat up some cream in a saucepan. Kind of a scald, I guess. Give it a thermometer. And all the recipes I read just say to heat it up to 160. I like to just go ahead and scald it and then let it come back down. Let it sit for a couple minutes, let the temperature drop. The perfect thing about scalding is you watch it for about 10 minutes and you turn your head and then it boils over. <laughs> Good for a few minutes. Got the sous vide heating up here. And what what temper are we gonna go to with the sous vide? I set it on 180. Uh, the thing about that is though, sometimes if your jars are too cool and you want to drop them in at 180, you might get one that cracks on you and it's kind of a mess. So I wait till it gets to 140, a nice safe temperature, but it's still cooler. I'll drop them in there. Then once it gets to 180, I'll let it go for 45 minutes to an hour. A lot less breakage. So then what's the procedure when it comes out? Turn my sous vide down to about 130, dump some ice in there. So that way it's kind of cools down a little bit slower. Let that sit for a minute. Then I pull those out and put them into a pan, a little bit of ice around it, and pour some water on top of that and into a refrigerator. A couple hours in the fridge, they're good to go. How long, uh, how long, what's the shelf life of these once they go in? The into the fridge? fridge, three to five days is pretty, pretty mm -hmm. good, yeah. Up to a week, because they're pretty well pasteurized after they've been in there. So do you have to do anything special to the jars? Do you have to grease them or anything? No, no, I just, uh, the most important thing really is, uh, you know, remove the lid and the ring, pour in the batter. Leave just a little bit of space from the top to kind of condense down after they've cooled. Uh, so it's easy to torch without hitting that glass, you know, those will break a lot that way. Uh, the most important thing is uh, you put the lid back on, get the seal side down, and then the band. And you just, you don't want to get it too tight. You just go barely finger tight with the band and then back it off a little bit. You're going to think it's too loose, but if you can't let any air escape, then They'll, they'll bust on you in there. Okay. Like that. And if you do, or if you are doing it like this with a sous vide uh, and you have one break, the best thing to do is just let the batch finish and then clean everything up, you know. And that's, that's kind of a bummer. Uh, and there's no plastic, which is cool. One of the drawbacks to sous vide, you know, a lot of plastic use. But uh, here, you know, reusable. You at least get a few uses out of it. And it's. So here's a question. This is kind of a theoretical question. Could you, is there a way, is there a way you could do this in a more, with a, with a more like traditional ramekin? Like if somebody had yes. ramekins, how, how would you do that in a sous vide situation? Lower temperature, about 160. Uh, you put the custard into a, into a bag, back seal into a bag or a Ziploc bag, cook it in there that way. And then once it's warm enough and all the way through, you can pour it into the ramekins while it's still pourable oh. and then refrigerate it. So, so it's, it's fully cooking in the sous vide, but it's not quite setting up. Right. And then it sets up right. in the fridge. Right. The, the way I do it, a 180, it sets up pretty good in there. After about an hour, you can pull it out. There's still a little jiggle, but uh, it's just kind of a, it's kind of a no-miss situation for yeah. me, you know. I, you know, I like it kind of uh, creamy, you know. Yeah, yeah you know, this so I can make, you know, 30 or 40 at a time this way. 
with the big circulator. Right. Yeah, it's a lot easier to fool around with a water bath. <laughs> Putting all those ramekins in a hotel pan and then hot water <laughs> and it's all sloshing all over you. Yeah. It's a real pain. Every time you try to turn them, you hop, like your towels or your oven mitts are, get soaked and then they're useless. <laughs> I'm a ladle. So the next step here is we've got the eggs with the yolks, the sugar, and vanilla. All in our mixing bowl. We've got the cream over here to the side. Let's see, and I'm going to put this on the left because I like to whisk with my right. Nice ladle. And the whisk. Now we're going to do the tempering of the eggs. So we just add the hot cream in small enough batches so that we're not cooking the eggs. Just bringing them up to a nice temperature. So we start off real small. I like to hold it kind of high too. I think it gives it a chance to cool off as it drips into the mixing bowl, you know. Little bits at first. And the cool thing is, is you know, a lot of people know the more you get in there, the more you can add at a time. So once I get down to that bottom third, I could just dump the whole thing in there. And we have our nice little custard, pretty simple, straightforward. I like to do this while this is still warm too, so there's not a lot of like you drop those cold 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 jars with hot water. You can, I don't seem to have a lot of chunks in here. It's a good idea if you want to super smooth and run it through a sieve before you cook it up. Which I usually do. Alright, so I've got the custard in there. The little jar lid on top. Crank that down, not very tight at all, and then back it up about a quarter, maybe half of an inch so it's loose. Uh, you want to see a couple bubbles come out of it when you drop it in the water. I'll take these on over to the sous vide. This thing's already at 147, which is a nice safe temperature, you know. Gently place these suckers in here. Hit the bottom. See a couple bubbles, a little bit of custard coming off. That was probably on the outside of that jar. And once that thing gets to 180, 45 minutes to an hour, it's golden. We'll turn down the temperature. There's some ice in there. And the best thing is just that you want to get them cool, but do it kind of slow. You know, I wouldn't throw them directly into ice water. Break a jar or two. And now that we have our finished product here, looking pretty good. Uh, we've cooked it, 180. About 50 minutes. Uh, nice and smooth. Let's see here. We got our sugar. We grab the torch. And it's not a fancy torch. This is like a little 15 $20 job that you get just about any hardware store. Goes right on top of the uh, little propane can or butane, whatever that is. Propane. It's a small amount of sugar, enough to cover the top. Trying to avoid any chunks. And it's just best to take your time. Don't, don't want to burn your fingers. You don't want to crack the jar. Don't want to burn the sugar. Get the torch going. Turn it down about as low as you can get it without it going out. Hold up your blade. You're going to have to tilt it a little bit towards you. And hold the torch back as far as I can. And gradually move in and just try to melt this sugar. You can brown it a little bit, but you don't want to see black spots. You can kind of keep the brulee moving. You can spin it in your hand once you start to see it melt a little bit. 
and you watch it run, smell it, it whips it smooth. You see it start to smoke, just back off really quick. Good to go. Always fun when you can use a torch. Nice little crispy top on it. Alright, you can have it. The hottest dessert of the 90s. <laughs> <laughs> Two egg omelet. Two egg omelet. And describe the process while you're doing it. Okay. Uh, challenge accepted. So what kind of omelet are you going to make? Is this is this going to be like a diner style American omelet? Yeah. Or is this going to be like the, the fancy rolled ones? Nope. All right. Diner style. No, diner style. All the way. All right. Yeah. I learned how to make omelets from my dad. So, and I never switched my style. Oh, you're adding... And a little bit of milk, just a little splash. Adding milk to the omelet. You don't want to add too much because then you're going to burn it. It's going to be gross. And butter. I forget what I... There's, a, there's other pans if you want a different pan. Yeah. There's also... I brought, I brought my omelet pan if you want to use that. No. I'm just going to use that pan. All right. So I got about a teaspoon, not even, of butter. This is the back one. I took my two eggs, I beat them up, added the teeniest bit of milk, and now I've got about a teaspoon of butter in a pan. I'm gonna coat the whole pan in butter first, make sure it's evenly coated, and then I'm going to add my eggs. Um, let the eggs form a protective layer while slowly rotating the pan the whole time so it's cooked evenly. Um, at that point, you add all your stuffings and then close it up. We're not going to stuff this one. We're not going to stuff this one. No. Good. Yeah. You can, you can <laughs> stuff it with anything. Though. What's your favorite omelet filling? I am a sucker for mushrooms in the morning. So I just want Swiss and mushrooms. And how do you prep? How do you prep? Because you got, because all your fillings have to be ready. So yeah, that's true. The key to an omelet is just being able to throw it all together super quick. That's why they like it, but it's still intense because it's got all the good stuff. So, so I cook my, Especially if I'm not going to add anything else besides mushrooms, I cook mine in a whole bunch of butter, um, little salt, little pepper. If I'm feeling fancy, I might dice up an onion and add it to that. But so, would you describe this as a fluffier omelet as opposed to the? It's a basic omelet. It's not um, fluffy. It'll be yeah. It'll be thicker in consistency, and it's not not crepe like. Let's go with that. Okay. So you're letting it cook still in the pan. Yes. You're not shaking the pan? I'm not going to shake the pan. It's got to form its bottom first. And then when you see it around the edges and it's starting to solidify, that's when you can start moving your fillings around so it sets and everything's covered. You don't want like runny yolk in the middle of your omelet. Oh, yeah, you do. <laughs> I definitely don't. I'm not... Um, as far as eggs go, I'm never one to wake up in the morning and be like, I think I want to eat an egg today. So I have to have it in some form of egg in a hole. I talk about omelet. I, I talk about this in my omelet segment, but you know what the French term for the interior, the ideal interior of an omelet is? Oh. It's a baveuse. You know what that translates as? What's that? Snot. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm avoiding when I want an omelet. <laughs> Are you brown or no brown? No brown. Okay. I'm probably gonna be whoop, brown with this egg though. Look at that. See? Well, it's always tough with a with a new with a pan you're not familiar with. Look at how thin it is. 
Should have went one egg with this little pan. Yeah, it's not a very big pan. Pan size is, is probably the most underrated aspect of omelet cooking. Mm -hmm. If you use too many eggs in a, in a small pan, it makes things needlessly difficult. Yep. And if you don't use enough pan eggs in a big pan, it also makes things needlessly difficult. I'm still moving my pan around to get that last little egg. So this is the point, at, at, at this point, while, the, while it's still a little bit runny on top, this is where you'd add your filling, right? Yes. You want, yeah, you want your fillings to stick in. So actually a little before this point, because not much is moving around the pan now. Oops, folded it right in the pan. That is a beautiful diner omelet. Ta-da! If I was in a diner, I would be happy to eat that. Right? Still. Like, oh, thanks. All right, so we're here to make the fourth style of omelet, the souffléed omelet. You separate the yolks, you separate the whites, you beat the whites until you get stiff peaks, you combine the whites with the yolks, and then you cook it briefly on one side, and then you can either finish it by flipping the omelet or by putting it into a hot oven. Today I got the oven heated up, and we're gonna finish it in the oven. So they're very easy to make, and there are savory versions. There are a lot of savory versions. They're very famous, but what I like them personally for is as like the quickest dessert that you could possibly make. This is the ideal dessert for a meal that sort of came out of nowhere, you didn't really expect to make, your friends popped over, you know, you, you just finished dinner and you thought you had a piece of cake and you don't, or somebody ate the ice cream last night, or one of those things where you just want something sweet that's not real heavy, you just want a sweet end to a meal. This is one of the ideal quick and easy desserts. I've separated my eggs, so I'm gonna just whip my, beat my yolk real quick. And now I'm gonna beat my whites. I could do this in the mixer, but this is only two egg whites, so I'm not gonna go through all the trouble of doing it in a mixer. Uh, I'm just gonna do it right here in a bowl. And when you're beating egg whites by hand, it's always better to start beating the egg whites by themselves, and then once they start getting close to, uh, close to their final form, then I'll add the sugar, because sugar slows down the beating of the egg whites by quite a bit, actually. It's it's pretty noticeable. It can be good to start with sugar in when you're using a, a power mixer because it slows it down sufficiently that if you walk away for a minute or something like that, you don't have to worry so much about overbeating the eggs. But when you're beating egg whites by hand, the more help you can get, the better. Now, you can use any whisk for beating egg whites. The ideal whisk is called a balloon whisk. And it's called a balloon whisk because it has kind of a bulbous end and typically they have very light individual wires. So it can move real fast and it beats a lot of air very quickly. The design of the balloon whisk is very efficient at beating air. So it's better. It's a better option than a stiffer whisk. It helps if you have room temperature eggs. You get a little better volume that way. It's not really a trick to beating egg whites, it's mostly just commitment. So right now they're kind of like a, they're sort of like the head on like a lager right now. You know, the head on, on a beer. And I'm gonna go ahead and add my sugar. Not a lot, I don't want this to be crazy sweet. And just a little pinch of salt. Right now, I am just 
almost to soft peats. And I want to be at good stiff peats. And now my peaks are nice and stiff. And that was really maybe three minutes tops. There's a reason that old pastry cooks always had giant forearms. Now I'm going to take my spatula and put about a third of the egg whites in with the yolks. And I'm gonna beat these fairly heavily we're not going to fold yet. What you're trying to do right now is lighten the base. And this is a really, this is pretty much universal whenever you're folding egg whites into anything. The first roughly third, some quarter, will be beaten, beaten in fairly heavily. You don't want to lose all of the air volume, but you're also not being that careful. It's now easier to beat the whites into this base. So the flavorings for this can be many. Um, generally, I keep the, the base flavoring fairly simple. Uh, in this case, I'm just gonna use a little shot of vanilla because I happen to have a couple spoonfuls of jam left of a cherry jam. And that is what I'm gonna fill this thing with. Um, another real classic thing to do would be to flame some liqueur over it. You could put a syrup over it. You can use uh, like fruit, any kind of a fruit compote or any kind of a jam, marmalade, whatever. Pretty much anything except probably like chocolate. Chocolate would be disgusting because chocolate and eggs is like, ugh. I mean, just imagine that. Imagine, imagine pouring chocolate sauce all over an omelet and how just revolting that would be. And now is a good time to start heating my pan, just like for an omelet. The difference here is I'm not really gonna stir the eggs after I add it. I'll shake them around a little bit. I might let a little bit run under the edges, but this is most, this is gonna be finished in the oven and then folded over. So it isn't made the same way as uh, like a rolled omelet. And when folding egg whites into a base, you add a little and you make the J. You move your spatula through the egg whites in a J mixture and fold the yolks back over the whites. And this is to ensure that you retain the maximum amount of air because you do not want, you don't want to deflate this. You want as many of these egg cells to survive as is possible because that gives you the lift of your omelet. So you gotta be very gentle. You don't stir. You make repeated J movements and fold the egg whites back into the mixture. And it's okay if it's not completely incorporated. It's better to slightly underwork this than to overwork it. And that is pretty good. So I'm gonna set this aside. A lot of volume. So my oven is preheated to 425. My pan is nice and hot. I'm gonna add a nice glug butter to the pan. Remember, in omelets and in a lot of egg cooking, butter is a seasoning. All right. Now it's starting to subside. Remember, you don't want to brown the butter. You just want it to be just hot enough and no more. Unlike a regular omelet, you kind of have to flatten these guys out a little bit because uh, they don't run. They're very stiff. You pour it in, 
flatten out. And now I'm just going to cook it on this side for just a minute, not very long. Just until the edges start to kind of set up a little and the, the middle part is less jiggly. Starts the, the, the top of the omelet now, which will be the middle, is just starting to dry out a little bit. The edges are just starting to look sort of like uh, really large curd scrambled eggs. And now I'm gonna pop the whole works in the oven. Now, like I say, there is a method of doing this where you can flip it, but we're not doing that today. So in the oven it goes for just a minute or so. All right. Now it is it is important with uh, with the souffle omelet. You want to make sure that the whole thing is cooked. It needs to be uh, a little more fully cooked than say the rolled omelet. Again, you don't want it dry, but you want it to have you want it to be sort of firm throughout. You don't really want it to run. Even if you like runny eggs, you don't want it to run. Oh, it's nice and puffy. Oh man, that's pretty. So that was in there for like a minute. It's nice and fluffy. And now I've got my little barely any jam at all. And I'm going to fold it over onto itself. Now, a souffléed omelette should be decidedly a bit brown, and that is okay. The sugar in the omelette is going to brown a little bit. Now I've got a very lovely, it almost looks like a pancake on the outside, but it, what it is, is a beautiful souffléed omelette with a cherry jam center. And I can, I'm going to sprinkle a little powdered sugar over this, and I'm going to enjoy it because I made this for my dessert. This is what you can do if you have two eggs, a couple teaspoons of sugar, and a tablespoon of jam. Check the Pantry is a production of KBBI AM 890 in Homer, Alaska. It's hosted by Jeff Lockwood. John Brown and Adrian Huff were recorded at Station 12. For information about Station 12, call 907-235-4226 or email info at station12.com. The theme music is String Quartet Opus 10, Movement 2 by Claude Debussy, performed by Quatuor Ebene. This is the fourth episode of the spring 2019 season of Check the Pantry. Your financial donation as a listener makes this and other KBBI programs possible. Visit the KBBI public radio website at kbbi.org support to help produce programs like this.
Thank you. 